to the song of the fourth intro. Uh, all right, there we go. Uh, all right, welcome to episode 17 of Bro Research Radio. Uh, Ryan and I today are going to talk about metabolic stress. Metabolic stress has been thought of as a backdoor pathway to muscular hypertrophy, muscular tension being the king. Uh, metabolic stress has taken a lot of heat the last couple of years. Muscle, muscle damage as a driver of, of muscle hypertrophy has kind of gotten thrown under the bus. Don't necessarily think that's important anymore, not something to chase. But metabolic stress is a little bit more interesting, um, a lot of bit more interesting, because we're going to get into the nitty gritty of the kind of the side, the mechanistic research and then also the applied research. But also just from a practicality standpoint, using metabolic stress blocks is, is I think both Ryan and I agree that it is probably a really, really good idea for your long-term training program. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, it's even if it was something where, because I at one point was kind of uh, decided that, Hey, this isn't doing anything directly to help with hypertrophy. Uh, and I was kind of just using it as a way of deloading the whole system to a degree, uh, the way of, uh, a way of kind of just like sparking, uh, you know, psychological interest in, in training again, uh, just getting a pump, like getting back to our roots. Cause that's really what metabolic stress is. Uh, if, if we want to think about it, how, what we're actually feeling is just, we're just getting cell swelling. Uh, there's a mechanistic effect that that's going to have on the, the cell. Um, but it's, uh, it's just the pump right? Like it doesn't have to be super fancy. Um, so but I, that can do a lot of things, right? Like IL-6, does, is, yeah. IL-6 is related to hypertrophy, like all mm-hmm. these things that we get from that. A lot of the hormones that we thought had a role like GH, all that, all that stuff, like growth hormone, IGF-1, that, those things didn't come into play. But IL-6 does correlate with muscle growth. So some of these, then you have cell swelling, which, which may activate satellite cells. So there are some mechanistic points that, that some things that could be going on. Yeah. And that's, to me, it was kind of a bonus anyway. Like, I'm like, all right, well, that stuff's happening. That's cool. But just seeing uh, just some of the, the softer sides of, of things that this actually may be helpful. Um, yeah. You're smiling because I said softer. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, no, but you don't uh, get a, you don't get a pump with like three by five with four mm-hmm. minutes rest. Like you're not like the research is pretty clear. Like you're not going to get that same amount of blood flow. Like you're not going to get that same amount of swelling. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I've seen just like with, with that, you know, I'm looking at a injury prevention or, or kind of like, uh, you know, just injury recovery type of thing with just the increased blood flows, you know, that that's always going to be a good thing. Like that never hurts when you're injured or if you have things that are nagging. So that's kind of the way that I had been using it previously is just like throw these blocks in there every once in a while, allow the whole system to recover. If I have anything that's kind of bugging out, then I will use that. And, you know, whether it has a direct effect on hypertrophy or not is, is kind of irrelevant. But it turns out that it actually may. Uh, there may be some independent variables going on here that, that could induce hypertrophy. So I think that's kind of what we're going to get into today. Yeah, the, the applied research, my, my big takeaway uh, before we get into to the studies that we're going to review is that I don't know that metabolic stress is a good idea when you're, when you're trying to do compound lifts. Like those, mm-hmm. those studies – they didn't really pan out, but the studies that we have that looked at like single joint movements, the, they, the, you know, the, the group that did sets of 15 or 20 to failure versus the group that did eights, generally the groups that did those higher sets to failure and got a pump had, had better results. Now there is this, so I built, John and I have been, have been literally playing with this, like this metabolic stress component kind of deload thing for about five weeks. 
and and I just wanted to just keep my sets kind of stagnant or just consistent and then just play with a lot of this stuff. Because if we look at the downsides of running a metabolic stress block are that you're probably going to get weaker. Um, neurologically, whatever that is, because you're not, you're just not pushing weight inside of those ranges where, because remember strength is task and rep range specific. So if you're not mm -hmm. doing, if you're not doing sets of eight heavy, like you're going to get weaker. Um, yeah. And so one of, one of my big things is like, all right, so if I know that's the downside, of this of this type of protocol because uh, i'm not gonna be pushing as much weights because i'm gonna have to drop set i'm it's just not gonna happen well how can i how can i try to curb that and so we did a lot of ebt stuff and so i would guess we're at five rir um and still going pretty heavy like up to 80 percent, and then we just do that stuff before so we're doing like five sets of, of three at our you know eight rep max and I think that's going to allow us to come back into that muscular tension block and, and we're going to hybrid it out. We're going to just kind of like, we're not going to jump straight back in. We're going to, we're going to do some stuff and then, and then kind of get back into the muscular tension model. But I think that's going to allow us to keep, not see those insane decrements in strength that a lot of people mm -hmm. see coming off yeah. those stress blocks. I mean, I've even messed with it where I just had like my main list basically just be like a strength progression uh, where I'm working to lower rep ranges and all my accessory stuff is, is, metabolic stress type of focus um you know there's that's where that's where we're gonna go like we've been everything has been kind of metabolic stress and i think that and and even if you've done this stuff like try doing sets of 15 on squat with 30 seconds yeah. well that's that's the one point i want to say is you know like when we're talking about metabolic stress we're talking about peripheral stress we're not mm -hmm. we're talking about very local tension so it's, yeah. it's not if we, the more blood we have to shunt out to the entire system, the less of that effect that we're going to get, I would assume. Um, yeah, so that's why I think the straight set model, the straight set model is a lot more rather than, and yeah, CrossFit, I think you're going to like the CrossFit stuff, you're going to get a pump like systemically, but mm -hmm. I just don't know how much, what's going on there locally. Well, it can't like, I mean, if we think about like, so where did all this mechanical stress or sorry, uh, metabolic stress to start with. It started with blood flow restriction training. Mm -hmm. uh, so the whole idea is that we're keeping blood in that area. Uh, we're trying to restrict venous blood flow. So we're not going to, it's not going to leave. The metabolites are going to stay there for a longer period of time. So if we're doing that, uh, if we're doing a full body workout, we're going from overhead press to a squat or whatever it is, like you, you have to shunt blood away from whatever area you just work just to uh, deliver oxygen to a different area. Um, so I think like it has to kind of be, in my mind, if you really want to go after this, like you would want to do straight sets where you're short rest, uh, you're, you know, having to buffer out, uh, CO2 very quickly and locally. And it looks to be that you want to not as short as we thought. Like that's the, yeah, that, that's, that was, that's, that was, that's interesting to me. Mm -hmm, totally. Yeah. And they mentioned that in a couple of these papers where, you know, it's, it's funny because I think like where some of this, where it didn't pan out in some of the studies and I, you know, I'm not really biased towards this idea. Like I don't really give a shit what a, like stress is good or not. Like I'm going to do it anyway, because it's, I think it's good for other reasons. And I like to lift heavy shit too. So, but I think that you can, you can kind of look at these studies and be like, well, yeah. I mean, if you gave them an extra 30 seconds rest, that could have been a completely different study. 60 seconds probably isn't long enough. Like 90 seconds may have been enough to recover. And then that deficit would have been as large in terms of volume load. Uh, like there was different immune responses. You, you, one of the 
studies was talking about, right? What was like with the that was a Rossi study. Yeah, so I'm gonna I'll share my screen. We can just jump into it. So the I I think the big thing is like you probably can't look at this in untrained, unfit people. Mm. Because like look at these look at these rep drop offs in these untrained people. And this is 30 versus 90 seconds rest. Like that's nutso. This is like a squat, a bench. And these are you compound lifts that they're doing at 75, 70% of their one RM. Dude, look at that's all three of them combined. At set four, they got seven reps of all three of those combined. Am I, am I not reading this right? Is it they were hitting 46 reps on the first set? Of all three of these combined. Okay. Squat, <laughs> bench, like, wait, two wait, bar row. But then it's they kinda, only hit seven on all three on the last set? On okay, the last so. set, dude. Like, so this is like 30 seconds. Like, you could see, look at that first drop off. Like, that's nutso. And untrained people are only going to need one set, anyways. So it, it doesn't necessarily, you can see like just looking at the study, like, yeah, it's cool, but you're not, you're not thinking that you're going to see a significant difference based on the study population. Mm -hmm. um, but it's probably a bad idea. Like the other thing that we get into is practicality. Like look at when they tried to volume equate it. <laughs> <Look at that. laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're talking like this is probably where like, they're just not, they're not ready for this kind of stimulus just yet. No, yeah, this, they're not. This, this group would do far better uh, with, with some type of circuit-based approach. Um, you know, like they're, they're, they're probably, their aerobic system is probably terrible anyway. Uh, like they're probably just detrained in every way imaginable. Um, so, I mean, well, they, I, I probably shouldn't say that too soon because I know that some of these have like <laughs> collegiate level uh, gymnasts and stuff. So, yeah, that's, that's that, not I'm assuming that's not this study. study. No, no, this is an untrained population. <laughs> so I wanted to put an untrained population study in there because you're, you're also like – you have the repeated bout effect. Like people are going to get better at this stuff as they go. Um, but just really, when you look at these studies, think about like, who is this person? And, and all the money here is probably in that first set regardless. So these yeah. other sets probably don't even matter. Just fluff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I would say the 92nd set is probably a better idea. Um, mm -hmm. and, and these people are not going to need four sets. Like I don't even do four sets of squats, like to mm -hmm. failure. Like I'm not doing that. Um, and they probably can't, we've talked about that before. They probably can't even go to failure, but so this is this, this is this Rossi study out of Brazil. Um, and I tried, so these guys are pretty trained. I was trying to figure out like how the hell they were squatting so much weight. And then I found it deep in the paper that it was a half squat to a box. And I'm like, oh, yeah. thank God. Uh, <laughs> I was like, dude, these guys are just crushing 315 pounds, uh, and they're 18% body fat. And they like, the thing is like, they, they're benching 135. So I'm like, dude, these guys are really good squatters. Um, and so this was, this was four sets to 75% or 70% volume was not equated. And so this is the one where they found that, that both, it was kind of equal to the results of the study demonstrate that 30 and 90 seconds of recovery in between sets of upper and lower body exercise to failure results in muscular fatigue but only the 90 so this is the one that only in the 90 second recovery period induced inflammatory metabolic responses because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it probably so they're, they're these guys were a little bit more trained so their hypothesis was that if you would have volume equated again if you would have maybe volume equated the cert 30 second you might have seen the same responses but then you're talking about doing six or seven or eight sets mm -hmm. were they doing it was the same setup there right where they were they were reducing load as or they were just keeping the same load and then just reducing reps yeah. yeah yeah they had the same they had they were at seven you can see there are they're not that strong per se because they're look at how many reps they're doing on well, the squat you know it's funny you say that because there was a switch that i made a long time because when i first started training it was like 
you take your first set to absolute failure and then you take your second set to absolute failure in the third set. And, but it just ends up being like complete garbage training. Like even if you are resting long enough, it's like, you'll get like 15 reps on the first set and then like eight and then four. And then it's like, what am I doing? Like, and then I realized at some point, like it's actually way harder to like maintain effort throughout, like just to stay at like an eight RPE. And it just feels so much more productive. I know this has like nothing to do with what we're talking about really. No, I, I think it but does, it, but it comes back to like, how do you progress this stuff? Yeah, exactly. And I think like you, what you find as you progress as a trainee is that you are able to repeat those efforts a lot faster. Um, yeah, or a lot and just, you know, you'll be able to stay closer to what you just started with. If you're seeing that big of a drop off, like you're, you're just, you're not ready to, to be doing this type of training. We kind of flipped the switch. So we, we tried to, pick a straight set weight for this and so our in our we did all our all our multi-joints were 90 seconds so benching squatting all and uh anything that involved two joints we got 90 second rest and then single joints we got 60 seconds rest mm -hmm. and so what we did is we did it off the last set and so i think of those first two sets kind of like the first two rounds of mass and that they're yeah. just like, they're just like accumulating metabolites they're just accumulating yeah. fatigue and then and then now we're on four sets. So if you're really trying to, if you're really being county, we're probably only doing two sets that count. Mm -hmm. And then we're, and then we're progressing it off those second sets. So if we can get 50, that third set is really the, the set that we're progressing. So if we can get 15 reps on all three rounds and then we go that up and true. wait. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I think that makes a lot more sense because it just ends up being like, if you do it the other way around, if you go to failure on the first set, um, I don't know, man. It just feels different. Like it just doesn't feel like there's the same amount, which is, I mean, we're talking about feelings now and you know, this is a bro thing, you know, we can't be talking about feelings, but you know, it, it's, it's not the same. Like it just, you, the work just ends up being so unproductive by those, those last couple sets. That and we it see it here, man. Look at this yeah. 30, like, look at this 30, 23 to 10 to seven to five. Yeah, that, that's it. When I see that, I'm just like, you know, that's not, that's not very good quality. And I also think that you're kind of like, you're kind of bitching out there, <laughs> like at some point to a degree too. Or if you're not, then you're just like, you're not conditioned enough uh, or you need to start, like you got to figure out where that is. Like, so for you guys, that might be a five RAR on the first set. Um, and for you. I would guess that's where we're at. I would, yeah, guess we're, I, I would guess we're at our 20, somewhere in our 20 RM. Yeah, and if you extended that to a two-minute rest, you might be able to take that up to a seven RIR. Um, you know, so whatever the protocol is, you have to figure out where you are within that. That's a good uh, point. A lot of these, the, the other thing is a lot of these mechanistic studies are comparing 30% to 80%. And I don't, I don't think either of us are ever advocating like 30% of your one RF. Like yeah. that now you're in like cardio land. Now you're running like you're, you're a different limiter. Now you're running like seven, 800 meter sprints. Like no one wants to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there'd have to be like a really, a good reason for doing that. I mean, maybe that's what you'd have to, that would have to be where you're at. You know, maybe you're just like, uh, such a high occluder that like that you, you need to do that. Um, like that, that's the only place that you go like it, at 30%. Like if you start accumulating sets on top of that, like you just go like it just gets very real very fast for you. Mm -hmm. uh, I would assume that people have a really like really crappy aerobic base. 
would probably they might benefit from something like that. That might be a protocol that I would use to get them to to be able to like handle some amount of volume. I'm talking like the extreme end. Like I'm talking like power lifter that mm-hmm. squats, you know, one to three reps all the time. He walks up a flight of stairs and needs to sit down. You know, like that. This guy told me he wanted to to uh, start training for hypertrophy. That might be something that I would use. But otherwise, like unless you're at the extreme end of that, like yeah, thirty percent is going to be not doing a whole lot (laughs) and and the other thing we do need to take into account is that a lot of people think that these lower rep sets are easier they're not like your perceived exertion is it's pretty clear when you take these like when you take 30 percent out to absolute failure your rp is going to be way higher than like like so three sets of a 30 rm is going to be way tougher than three sets of a five rm like just perceived exertion wise but I don't know about like 15 compared to eight. Like, cause that's, mm-hmm. that's essentially where we're living. Like maybe yeah. even like, like definitely I think 15 compared to five, like sets of like a true five rep max on a bench and you're getting like four minutes rest compared to like 15s. I, yeah. I'm going to go with the 15s is a lot more from perceived exertion, but I'm not trying to have less perceived exertion. I like perceived exertion. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and that's a lot, that's kind of what we're using in a lot of these blocks as well as we want, we want perceived exertion without a lot of joint stress. Mm-hmm. And so this is, this, is, this is the game study to me. This is the most applicable study. I can't really figure out how strong these guys are. Um, I'm guessing their upper body's pretty chained because they are in some kind of gymnastics club. Um, but I can't, from their loads, I can't figure out like how much they're curling. But this is like, they're doing barbell curls, preacher curls, hammer curls. Their sets are high per week. It's an eight week study. Um, and they have MRIs for cross-sectional areas. This is like, this is posh. Um, and so what they found was the single arm, the, the, so this is the, essentially the short rest versus the long rest here. Uh, SL, so long rest is, I don't know why they picked those. Oh yeah, it's, it's short rest, low load. Uh, yeah. That's, and so the short rest, not significant on MRIs, but we can see like there is a trend. Um, there is a trend towards it being significant on the cross-sectional MRI studies. Uh, muscle thickness did show that the short rest group um, had a larger effect size. So in this study for hypertrophy, the short rest uh, low load group won pretty, I mean, not, not crazy substantially, but did, did win out. Um, and this is kind of the, the decrement of using these metabolic stress pathways is that you this group got weaker the the group that had the shorter rest and lower load they got weaker over the course of the study and i think if you're doing good programming i think you can probably prevent that yeah and that's the other reason that maybe you don't maybe we don't have a lot of our blocks having metabolic stress pathways on the main lifts because you really don't even know what your limiter is going to be there mm-hmm. yeah i mean one thing that's interesting about this study is just the uh, the subjects in my mind, and I just like I wonder. It's kind of funny because it seems that that uh, like this is we're going to assume these people are pretty well conditioned, uh, like well trained. They're they're collegiate uh, gymnasts, so they're probably in pretty good shape. Um, so we were seeing that with these guys that they're they're seeing a benefit to to doing this lower load training. We also see the same thing in really old adults which is, Mm -hmm. which is kind of funny to me. So it's almost like 
Because um, I in the way of a study. Is that me? back oh, we're good we, we can just keep on rolling man we're good uh i didn't realize you were gone so i was actually talking about the study for a little while that villain away the study well i was talking about this one i was just saying that like there probably isn't a big difference between your 20 rm on a like machine preacher curl or just like a, any kind of curl and uh like an 8 rm you know what I'm saying? Like, because I, I think there's gonna be a, there's gonna be a really big difference in load for like a 20 RM squat and an 8 RM squat, but I think when it comes mm -hmm. to a bicep curl, like there really there isn't that big. It's like maybe it was like 75 pounds to 60 pounds or something. Exactly. Yeah. So it's it's like some exercises are definitely better suited for this type of training, in my mind. And that just that's the argument that we're already having is that this probably is not a great idea for. Uh, for squats, but it's also like, I don't think that doing sets under 10 for bicep curls is a great idea they're, either. They're not even getting a rep drop off on the bicep curls. Yeah. Like they're not yeah, recovering eight, eight. so quickly. So it's like, they're probably not getting a whole lot of anything. I bet you they, I bet you they don't even feel like they're training. They probably don't. They're probably, it's probably not really much of anything. I can't, I can't even, I can't even imagine doing that. Like three for, minutes for rest. Weeks. Like I would shoot myself three minutes rest on a eight rep max bicep curl. I mean, I can do that during contest prep. Uh, I had to do that during contest prep. <laughs> that's how long literally it would take me to recover from bicep curls. It would take me like three to five minutes, which is just crazy. But otherwise, yeah, that's like, it's pretty boring. So it's like, I wonder if uh, it's even enough. Like you're going to get, you're getting like pretty similar tension in terms of load between a 20 RM and a, and an eight RM. So now you're getting the added benefit of this metabolic stress. So Oh yeah. Load was not equated. Like these, this low, this, this short rest, the short rest, low load, like their, their load had to be so much higher. Their total volume. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. So it just seems like a much more efficient, safer, beneficial way to, to train for, for single joint exercises. And maybe not all the time, but, but probably for the most part. That's one of the biggest things like that I like about keeping the accessories like this is, is it's clean, man. Um, you get out of there real fast and yeah. you can put like, because you know, your accessories aren't going to take you 45 minutes. You can kind of put more time into those mains. Um, yeah. And, and the, we, we kind of ended up just from time constraints because we just can't be lifting for more than like an hour and 15 minutes because people start asking where the hell we are. Um, and so the, we, all, we automatically just started running like, like sets of four for like accessories. So we just we end up like doing circuit training. Um, and the straight sets, I like it a lot more. Um, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah it's, it's different. Like you, I think that you'll find that after, you know, six to eight weeks of that, it won't feel the same. And I think that that's kind of an indicator that you have 
probably adapted to that, uh, that you're actually getting really good at, at buffering. Mm-hmm. And then at that point, that might be when it's time to start increasing the rest again, you know, make more of a focus on mechanical tension. And it, you, you'll, you'll see that it just starts to feel different after a period of time. Like you're just no longer getting the same kind of pump that you, that you would. Um, and I don't know if there's something uh, that going on there that we can explain right now, but it's, it's uh, something that you'll probably notice. Yeah, I just, it's, it's good to have changes in your, in your training protocol, Dude, right? I mean, I think that like you could make that argument for just about anything and it would be a valid argument. I mean, aside from doing stupid shit where you, that's going to get you hurt, like there's better things you can do uh, for sure. Like uh, I, I don't know that like, you know, pushing cars as a main lift is like the, the best thing for quads like hypertrophy, but it might be good. I don't know. Maybe it gets you excited about shit again. And then you go back to your other stuff. Like, I don't think we, we can ever uh, just uh, run that over. Like it has to be, a, there, there's, there's something beneficial to that. And we're talking about like pretty minute changes that to us feel really, really big. Like you take, yeah, yeah. you take my accessories to like a two minute rest interval. And right now we're just like, just running around like mad trying to maintain like with two guys trying to maintain a 60 second rest interval on anything yeah. is it's, yeah, it's yeah, pretty so crazy yeah yeah it's, it's so great like just like, like it's like nascar yeah, um yeah. and and so going to two minutes like that's gonna that's gonna feel like a leisurely stroll stroll in the park and then going back to four minutes on on squat and bench and leg press that's gonna be dreamy yeah, and I think that you'll just from that, just just knowing that it's going to be easier, you're going to probably put on more load on the bar after a few weeks, like as you start getting used to it again. Just, I mean, that's why I think like things like mass are really helpful, just like just to teach yourself how, or just to remind yourself how much you know how to push. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like this, like I know that these three sets of spot is going to be nothing compared to the the previous training block. Uh, you, like I think there, there's something really big to be said there. Speaking of which. Let's talk about the study that, that everyone like hangs their hat on for like rest, not like going for, for essentially higher rest, being more productive for hypertrophy. Yeah. That, they're, that, they're evidence that they can be as sloppy as they'd like to be. That's essentially what this is. This is turned into is that you can just text and spend five minutes on the cable. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I'm going. <laughs> and I got one more rep this entire workout. So this is the study that got me and, and I was, this, this study took me down. Like I lost, not, it was great. I, I like kind of just losing myself to the internet and like going everywhere um, as far as like inside of my end note. And, and so this, this show called it all 2016 paper that had two dropouts, 23 experienced lifters um, in quotation marks. And so these, these guys, I, I, I got really, really confused and, and you, you helped me with this and the, when we were off off record, and so these guys, they they show their total volume, and I'm like, what the hell is going on? These guys are doing 630 reps. They have to be around 630 reps per week. Like this is a this is substantial training protocol. Like it's seven main multi joint lifts, three sessions per week for eight weeks. Like you got a back squat, a leg press, and a leg extension three days a week, three sets to failure. Like that's terrible. Yeah. Um, and these guys, these guys were lifting 6,000. Kilo, or 6,000 kilograms. And I'm like, dude, that per lift, that's, that's, that's 20 pounds. With the leg press in there too. I'm like, these guys, <laughs> these guys are leg pressing for their 10 rep max. These guys are leg pressing 20 pounds. 
So I immediately like just put my numbers in. Like if I did this and I'm like, holy shit, I'd be somewhere around 80,000 kilos. And, and you, you found out why this was. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, it's, it's kind of hidden right in the conclusion. They're just like, yeah, by the way, um, yeah, we had to stop using the, the numbers for the machines because they renovated the gym like halfway through the study. And they changed so, the machines. <laughs> so they changed the machines so they can no longer use them. So the only thing that was actually counting towards the volume load was the barbell lifts. So your back squat, overhead press, bench press. So let's, that makes a lot let, more sense. <laughs> but let's just like, let's just do this comparatively for you. So what, like back squat, you for like a 10 round max, you'd be somewhere like 350, 360? Yeah, something like that probably, yeah. 350. Probably right, so, probably right now about 350, yeah. All right, and then 10 rep max bench, you'd be like, what, 265, 275? Probably, yeah, 275. Right. And then a military press, like what, 155, 135? That's I terrible. I can't like put my arms over my head. But, yeah, we'll go, uh, yeah, we'll go 135. 135, yeah, yeah. All right, and so then I did that three times per week. So... Wow, this is not going to be good for them. It's it's still going to be really terrible. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, you know, six uh, six months of oh, dude, fuck, saying does not does not qualify as a uh, experienced in my book, but you're at thirty one thousand kilos per week. By the Just... way, that's the conservative numbers, guys. I haven't been training my back squat. <laughs> so. Very conservative. Yeah. So five times your load would be somewhere around five times theirs. Uh, I would I would guess that you would get hurt in three weeks, um, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> just taking three sets. Failure, of, yeah. Just kicking, just going from three sets of failure on back squat to three sets. Of I mean, I've done worse. We've all done worse shit than this. Oh sure. yeah, but this would be pretty. But for eight weeks, I mean, that, that's a pretty, that's that's where it gets you. It's like, oh man, I got to do this again and again. And again and again on repeat. <laughs> Just keep, yeah, that, that would be pretty wearing. Another thing that's not really taken into account in this is just global systemic fatigue with these mains. Like you're talking like this 30 seconds, not even inside of this, but just think about like the, the cumulative fatigue of going through all these versus three minutes. So what, yeah. what, would, what would happen if you did like, you know, 90 seconds rest on a back squat? Cause you're not after a central stimulus here. Like you're not after, you're not trying to do cardio. So yeah. what would happen if you did like, you know, 90 seconds rest on a back squat and then took three to four minutes rest in between each exercise. Like, I think you'd get a very, I think you'd get a very different type of result. Mm -hmm. um, and so this is, this is where you can see with my giant thing, I have questions. Um, and, and you answered the big question of what the hell was going on with the loading scheme. Um, and these guys aren't, these guys aren't super terrible as far as, um, their strength and their one rep max back squat is what, like 300 pounds. And oh, I thought it was equal to like their body weight or weight. That was the, that was the exclusion for the cri That was like the oh, inclusion oh, okay. criteria. All right, good, good, good. So okay. this is their. Oh, so these aren't, these aren't too bad then. Okay. No, 136 kilos. That's, that's about 300 pounds on the, afterwards. So they put on a substantial amount on their back squat and then their bench, their one rep max bench is 225. So these guys aren't, these guys, these guys uh -huh. are, they're probably, you would classify them as low novices mm -hmm. depending on how big they are. Um, but so this is where I went down crazy rabbit holes. So you, we have, Bro Research has, uh, we have an ultrasound unit 
And so these are in centimeters. Normally you'll see these in centimeters or millimeters, uh, these ultrasound measurements. So ultrasound is looking, it's just shooting um, essentially a sound beam through the, through the muscular layer. And then you're going to pick up um, every change from muscle, every fascial layer you'll essentially pick up. Um, so it's really good for uh, picking up subcutaneous fat layer because fat doesn't compress. Uh, so you can kind of, in my opinion, uh, it's it's a lot easier than skin folds. And these new ultrasound units are pretty pretty solid, especially if you're using the scanning on picking up uh, millimeters of subcutaneous fat, um, which Brian and I care a lot more about compared to like a DEXA body fat percentage, which just has compounding error. Whereas if you're looking at these site fat measurements, it might be a little bit more helpful. But so one of the big things I learned in the last, in the last couple of days is you can't really compare different ultrasound units. Um, and it's, there's a lot. So if you think about your shooting, if you're shooting a light, so think about a laser pointer, like that thing's going to bounce off different things. And so you have, I'll just pull this up. So yeah, if we think, picture is helpful. so if we think about the cross-sectional area of this arm and it'd be the same for your, your leg, you just have, you know, your femur here. And so if we're trying to get a bicep on an ultrasound, you're going to pick up if it's coming straight in here. So you're going to, if you're doing it linearly. And so this is like, think about just shooting light in here. Like the angle of the probe is going to matter. So many things are going to matter um, as far as picking up. Cause when we're, when we're looking at muscle thickness, we're measuring from the bone to this layer right here. And so I can show you what that looks like on me. So this is like uh, looking at, here's the, Here's the subcutaneous. This is my leg. Here's this. This is just me poking at my vastus, this vastus lateralis. This is the subcutaneous fat layer. This is the bone layer. This is the muscular layer. Um, and the, I was just playing with it for like an hour today. And then this is this is my bicep. Um, so this is about. There's no fat on my bicep, luckily. Uh, and and then this is compared to flexed. So this is flexed. I'm at like 57 millimeters, not flexed, terrible, 32. Um, and then tricep is right here. You can see there's a little bit of fat on the back of my arm. Um, and so these guys, way bigger than me. Um, and so that had, that, had me, that had me obviously questioning. No. I was like, oh, God. Oh, God. I'm, my vastus lateralis is littler than these dudes pre- uh, and so obviously I immediately called the ultrasound people and said, what's going on here? Look at these measurements. Um, and, and, and it may be the case. The other thing, and Ryan and I were talking about a bunch about this is like, how were they, were they lying down? A lot of the, you look at the method section and they're measuring different points, but how were they, how were they positioned? Cause if you stand your vastus lateralis thickness is going to be way, way more than if you you're sitting down cause it's going to compress, it's going to flatten out the muscle. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's a lot of inherent, so we think of these as like maybe the gold, MRI would be the gold standard measurement. Um, and MRI, you're obviously laying down. But these, there's a lot of variability inside of these measurements. And, and once you start to understand the tech, you really understand, okay, these things, what do we want to pick up in highly trained lifters? Well, we can't compare one probe to another because all these ultrasound probes are different. They're going to compress the different tissues. They have different sound waves. They have different sound speeds. Um, and so it's not really helpful to compare ultrasound unit measurements. You can compare them to themselves. Um, but say we're trying to pick up, you know, a one, you're not, look at the variance here. Like even inside this measurement, like there's variance of, yes, of one so millimeter. Small. So say you're trying to pick up 
like a three or five millimeter change in cross-sectional area. It's going to be really hard. Um, and so there is a lot of inherent error. Also, you run into the same problem that you run into with any, with skin folds with, you have to do the same practitioner, how, like we're talking about like, so we have the 16 week study that we're running and we'll probably just have people put permanent tattoos on. <laughs> so you have to get a, or you either permanent or you have to get a henna tattoo every week. Dude, are you fucking kidding me? When? My computer just, ah, oh, cool. That's awesome. Uh, I got you back. I just blacked out. <laughs> what was that? I don't know. <laughs> juggle it. Juggle this. How would you get me today? Just, we'll, do our seven, we'll do our seventh intro. Yeah. 22nd outro. Uh, yeah, good. And so the we're going we're gonna to get everybody's cross-sectional area. Um, we might even be able to get some MRIs on some, some legs and some arms um, for this study. And then we'll probably get Dexa to you just to kind of compare everything. But it, it really is fun to look at look at these studies and then also just to have the tech. And this is my fourth ultrasound unit that I've worked with. Um, definitely the most user-friendly. The other ones were, were kind of weird. Um, and they're all different. They all have their pluses and minuses. But this one, from a probe standpoint, um, the other probes, you had to compress the skin a lot. This one, you can just set it right on. Um, it doesn't have that because it, it's not uh, – if you've ever used an ultrasound, they're kind of – some of them are kind of spherical. Um, and then you kind of have to press the skin down to get it to see the whole thing. And you'll um, have your affiliate link at the bottom of the, the podcast. And the, yeah, I don't know. Well. I mean, I, I don't know if I was a gym owner. Um, I would, I think it's useful for the subcutaneous fat measurement. You can probably, like, if you're, if you're trying to use metrics to convince untrained people, I don't think you need to show them their cross-sectional area of their muscle got bigger. Like they're going to be yeah. able to see that. You, you see it. Yeah. I mean, I think that you're going to ultimately what people care about is what they look like. And like that we're talking like we're at this place where we're at like the end of our genetic potential where it actually having these measurements is pretty damn helpful because it can tell us if we're going in the right direction or not. And we're uh, also we're, not attached to them. I think that a lot of like yeah. a lot of people get weird, man. They get really weird. Um, and I, I've seen, a, I've seen recently like gyms get these in bodies and then they're like, they got somebody on in body every week. I'm like, dude, yeah. stop it. Like that, that thing has so much inherent error and they're just like freaking out because their percent body fat went up like 1% in, in the last week, but they lost weight. And I'm like, dude, it's a different time of day. Your hydration status is different. Yeah. It's, stop it. Yeah, Do it. Yeah. If you're going to, if you have that, and I'm not a big fan, like BIA, I would use an RJL system. Um, which is on the back of the hands and the back of the feet instead of something that grips because you, your callus structure is going to get different every time. Mm -hmm. um, and so the BIAs, maybe it's useful time point to time point, but your t the air bars on that are huge. You're talking about air bars on air bars. You're going to have to have that be you know, pretty long, pretty far out. Yeah. Or we're talking like, or you want to do it the other way. Like, so you'd want to try to pick up big changes like every 16 weeks or something. Or you do the opposite of that where you'd have it at your house and you do it the same situation, you know, yeah. seven days a week. That's what I was doing for the, throughout my whole prep. It's like, I would go in on Saturday morning, fasted, same exact time, every, every, every test. And it, it, like, it was, it was pretty reliable to, to a degree. I don't know how accurate it, could, it was. It could work. It could work for someone like you, I think, because your life is so regimented. Yeah. 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 I mean, I literally like, I knew exactly what I was eating the night before. It happened to be the same <laughs> every single time, you know, like hydration status is basically the same. 
Now, uh, Becky, yeah, but who you just ate 17,000 chips the dude, night before? Yeah, like you're coming back from vacation. It's like, you know, for, you haven't been in the gym in a week and a half. And you're going to hop on at 7 p.m. Uh, you're getting with, 5% you know, body fat. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it doesn't, it's not, not helpful. You could gain like four pounds of muscle too. Like there's so many ways to gain these systems. Like once you understand the tech, like you could game a DEXA. Like say you wanted one group to win. You just put four pounds. You just have them eat three pounds of chicken breast before they go on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this is the main study that, that people hang their hat on. It's 30 seconds rest. You're going to have a ton of accumulated fatigue. Um, they did show that the law, I would think just from a volume perspective, that this group that got three minutes rest would have, but how long are your sessions? Dude, your sessions are so long. Each yeah, one of the so each it's one, three, nine minutes per exercise plus warm ups and all that shit. Dude, you're going to be uh, well, at probably 15 minutes, 15 minutes for all hours. for these two. That's 30 minutes, 40. Dude, you're at two hour workout. Yeah. Who's doing that? Like that. I'm surprised they only had two dropouts in the study. That's pretty cool. Um, the, so, that that's the one that everyone hangs their hat on. Uh, it was fun to dig into. And then this is an, actually, this is an older study out of Finland. I couldn't, uh, we don't necessarily, this is cool because it's a longer duration and they, they found no difference. So this is two, three months. They, these guys are fairly well-trained. They just looked at the legs. Uh, they had MRIs as a, of the quad. So this is a, another good one. And so this is just another one where two versus five minutes. So if you start to get into the minutiae of this, yeah, if you're taking two versus four minutes on your mains, I think you can make the argument for either one based on where you're at in your training protocol. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and what you're good at, what you've already done a lot of. And what you like. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, all right, so yeah, we've talked about a ton of the applied research. What other things that we want to talk about? Uh, so we did this. We talked about how do you progress it. Uh, the fiber typing doesn't look to be a thing. Uh, if you... I'd really recommend people read uh, both these, uh, these Morton papers, the 2016 one and the 2019 one. Um, both, they're both really good uh, talking about how the, the 2019 one's really interesting. I can pull that one up. Um, it's this one because it really, a lot of this, the argument for why, it would be bad to take a 20 rep max versus an eight rep max is that your EMG signal is never going to get as high on the 20 rep max as the eight rep max. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the argument that you see running around the internet. And that's probably not a valid argument because that EMG signal is not related to um, glycogen concentrations. And then if you've read, um, stronger by science's latest article about effective reps, it's probably just, it's probably a lot, lot dirtier than people want you to believe. Mm -hmm. um, and so this, this study goes into that, like performing resistance exercise to task failure, regardless of load lifted or repetition duration, necessitates the activation of type two muscle fibers. And you're going to get the same depletion of glycogen of type one and type two when you take things out to failure, 30% versus 80%. And both of these, both of these Morton papers out of Stu Phillips lab out of McMaster. Um, and so if you want to get into the mechanisms of this stuff, those are two really good papers to read. Um, anything you want to add on that? Um, I, I mean, I don't know if we want to get into, I mean, I, I, like my question is like, what would indicate that you are a candidate for this type of training or what would indicate that it's time for you to switch to this type of training? Um, you know, so if we're talking about, uh, you know, there is, 
I hope that people don't really talk about this anymore, but regarding the fiber type stuff, I think there was like this concept that like, if you're a like mm -hmm. long distance person, then like you're going to respond better to higher reps or whatever. Like, uh, do you have any insight on that? Is that just kind of thrown out at this point or what's. I, I got the 20 studies and I was, I, I think there might be something there, but not based on the person based on the muscle. So I think like you might like, so say a maybe probably not, but like, I think you're going to get there practically anyways, but take like a muscle like the caps, which is going to have more, I believe type one fibers, not, so you would want to train that with higher rep ranges. Mm -hmm. quote and then you're in the muscle specific, like there's a lot of people try to sell this of, so like you one rep max, right? And then you take 70% of that and you do that for max amount of reps. And so mm -hmm. some people are, some people get 25 and some people get six. Yeah. And so then they're like, Oh, I'm a, you know, I'm a fast switch person. Uh, I need to be doing fast switch stuff. I don't, if you're, if you're a hypertrophy person, like just give her that, like, just be yeah. dumb. Uh, just be dumber than that. And, and, <laughs> and, and don't try to, don't try to like game that system. I've done it before. I'm, I'm generally don't get a lot of reps, but I think the stronger that you get the probably, and females do tend to get more reps and they do tend to do better with higher rep training. Uh, they're more elastic. So my guess is that like higher rep training, they're just getting, they're actually using more muscles. That's my, that would be my hypothesis. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that you really, this is, this is a good point that we were texting about. How do you know when you, when it's time to run one of these blocks, how do you know if this is like a, a quality that you lack? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the big question for me. And like, we were talking a little bit about like different potential testing protocols. You know, I'm really looking into things that are, practical um you know like when it comes to to strength for instance test your one rep max or test your three rep max then retest it that'll give you a pretty good idea if you got the quality that you were looking to get is there a way that we can test for uh buffering capacity because that's that's kind of what metabolic stress is in my mind is we want to adapt to this stimulus if we're adapting to a stimulus that is related to hypertrophy hopefully we'll be getting hypertrophy uh, like, and, and that may be a stretch, but I would assume that if you're getting better at the things that contribute to hypertrophy that, you know, in, in the, uh, in practice that that will turn to, uh, greater growth, hopefully. So is there a way that we can standardize testing for something like uh, a metabolic training block to, to figure out a, like, Hey, you really suck at this. Cause that's easy to figure out with strength. Like if you're, if you're squatting 135 pounds and you're a male, um, regardless of your weight, like you're not very strong and you probably need to get stronger. And mm -hmm. like that, that, that will probably lead to the things that you want. Right. So and, now and then, we, is there, but, and then we know, ahead. like, we know, like if that is you, there's not really a point in you going heavy or like five rep max. Cause you can't, you can't do anything. Exactly. Not so until you get your strength up with the higher rep stuff. Yeah. So it's like, that's, that's, and this is probably what I'm going to present on. If I can kind of pull up enough stuff and organize my thoughts uh, in, in March, it's just like, are there ways that, that we can identify your kind of weak links in regards to hypertrophy and knowing that there's a few different things that we kind of have in mind that, that will actually benefit you um, or that are related to that goal? And then how do we attack those things and how do we objectively test them? So yeah, like that would kind of be like if you're, you know, I'm looking at maybe that example with the power lifter, like if you can only do less than three reps, you got a huge window of shit that you haven't adapted to. 
And we know that those like being able to do a higher 10 RM squat is probably going to correlate to, to hypertrophy of the quads. You know, like, mm -hmm. so if I get you to 10 RM squat, if I can get you to 10 RM squat, uh, for, for the first time in your life, like that's probably going to be a stimulus that you haven't gotten before that should result in some growth. So that's kind of like where my which mind they is might, which a power lifter may not want if they're in a weight class athlete. They may not. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just like thinking, and, th and this would apply, like, I, I want to kind of use this construct for, for any type of programming, which if someone wanted to do uh, something else, which I don't know why anyone would want to train for anything other than hypertrophy. But if you're a swimmer, like there's certain uh, characteristics of a, a swimmer, there's certain things that you want to do. Yeah. You probably don't want a ton of hypertrophy if you're a swimmer. Um, you're going to you know, get it by, from your sport probably. Yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't want to have giant legs. Yeah, any more of that would not be helpful. So it's like, you know, just coming up, like, what are all of the things that we can train for? And then how do those apply to what we're actually going after? And then what are the ones that are my weak link or, or the things that I haven't been exposed to in a while or whatever it is? Yeah, I, I think the, the we, were, we were jamming on that is, so the problem we're going to run into is we, we want a lot of these things, is it's not going to be universal, I don't think, because of joints anthropometrics for sure but also just like the machines that people have access to mm -hmm. um because you'd want to compare let you'd want to for legs if you were doing do a multi-joint i think we both agree you'd probably want to use a leg press yeah. um maybe a hack squat but probably a leg press and, and you'd want to figure out like you probably want speed testing on it and you'd want to have like a metronome so that they they'd have the same cadence because what do people do with leg press? They turn into weird rest pause sets. Yeah, um, yeah, and exactly. so you'd, you'd have to be really strict on how they did it um, so that you can compare it. And you probably really wouldn't want them to go to absolute failure. So you'd probably want to keep it at like a eight or a nine RPE and then just like look at volume load across three sets with the same weight. Are you able to repeat that, that effort? So maybe that's a way of testing. That counts. Like yeah. So like that, I'm looking at like a, just like a quick and dirty way of like figuring out like, Hey, this is something you could probably benefit from. If you take it like a leg press to an eight and you get 20 reps, it's an eight RP on the first set. You do, you do 20 reps, you rest for 60 seconds and you get 10 reps on the next set. I think that if you can get that second set from 10 reps up to 20 reps, I would assume that something good happens and that, that's probably going to yeah, increase your odds of there's a that's called the fatigue index there's actually a lot of research on that too and you can test like your drop-offs if you're dropping off like crazy i think that's a really good thing to mention like if you're doing two minute, if you do these two minute rests and you're dropping off like crazy you probably are not trained very well for this specific you've been spending yeah. too much time on your phone between sets yeah um, yeah and the, or like what are the other things that might go into that because i hear that i'm also thinking just like aerobic conditioning like just baseline health aerobics. Like, is it possible that you could be like in such crappy cardiovascular shape that you can't get like significant hypertrophy? I don't know, man. I think that, I think like for us, cardio is not going to, I think we're going to get just doing this protocol. We're going to get enough cardio and just by, I'm back. I, I lost you just for like 10 seconds there. Perfect. Uh, so, we're going to, I think we're going to get enough cardio by doing the, doing the, the training. Uh, but, you know, but you've already, all of us, like us have adaptations that already took place. 
you know, like we were already aerobically conditioned to a degree. So like, do you think that we've had like, whether it's mitochondrial changes or, or just psychologically, we know how to work, we know how to continue to, to progress. That, that stuff sticks around from like with just by, all you need is maintenance at that point. And then our resistance training could be the maintenance for that. Yeah, I mean, if someone's getting out of breath from bicep curls, they probably want to do some low, low end aerobic work for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I would agree with that. Um, I just don't, you're in, we're going to use, if we think about the, who that person is, we would use circuit training with them. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's, that's kind of my, my point is like, hey, know where you are. Like if you're just starting this journey out, like you probably don't need to have like super specific, all of the, the things that we know are the best for hypertrophy. Like you're going to get shit just from getting generally more healthy. Uh, like just by doing circuit training with 30 RM loads or whatever. Like, you're Dude, if you're sedentary, things. you'll get hypertrophy from like just doing a bike, like just riding like yeah. anything. Yeah. Yeah. And then like, I know that's not our audience necessarily, but I think our audience is probably working with a lot of those mm -hmm. people and they want to get super fancy and they want to increase training volume and they want to do all this, these, you know, uh, single joint exercises that are very specific towards like, dude, you don't need that. Like they're, <laughs> they're garbage right now. Uh, their entire system is, is, is crap. Like just getting them up. Just use them to get baseline. people excited. Like if, if a lady, like, I have a yoga chick that comes to me and she, you know, she wants to work on something that she wants to work on. I don't, I'm going to tell, I'm going to give her that. Of course, or if, yeah. It, like jonder has been doing bicep curls the whole time. Like, is that a probably a good use of his, was that a really a good use of his time the first year? Probably not. Absolutely. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he was probably getting, he was probably getting everything from like doing lap pull downs and cable bones. Like he was probably getting that stimulus from there, but it got now, the bicep girls. now he's now like he changed his identity. Right. And now he is now he is a lifter and like he is luckily he's not a crossfitter. He's a bodybuilder. Um, you, oh, you, so you, proud of him. you beat that into him. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and so, it, and it's really been, it's been fun to see like those identity based habits. And so if you can build that for people, whatever your schematic is, um, that's going to be, that's where I would use this nuanced stuff. But people are you know in the beginning we're definitely not snowflakes and then even in the end i don't think we're snowflakes either yeah mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah totally we all melt the same um anything else you want to anything else you want to jam on related to this metabolic stress topic if everyone anyone else is still around uh do you want to talk a little bit about uh occlusion training at all uh no let's leave that for when we talk with james and Serbia. i was going to oh, talk yeah. about that i was going to talk about that druin study uh, yeah, okay. Should, I wasn't sure if you wanted to include that in cool. this. That yeah. Crazy. Yeah, uh, yeah. Really weird. Like the oxygen, and I'm sure we'll get that in, into that with Serbia and, and Evan. The the oxygen, like they could go right away. Like that, yeah. like they could as go. As soon as they, right they increase the delivery again, right? Yeah, that was like, I'm like, hmm, interesting. Not the same. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's... I feel like you got to say something about it now, like because people are not going to know what the hell you're talking. Like, if you want to just over, like, just quick overview. Yeah, of that. we'll just link out the paper, and people can okay. get excited for the, the. Like, that's not my that. Like, just reading that paper, I'm just it's gonna. I'm gonna have to read that paper like five times to figure out what. The, I'm gonna have to go to other papers to look up like what terms are like. It's like we're in. It was a really good paper to show you. Like, all right, we have muscular fatigue, which we know us. You know, not as much as we think we know about. 
like why we definitely like read endure like we don't not know like why people stop um and then the other side was like so they then they had this deoxygenation situation uh where they cuffed them to 50 percent and they had them essentially bfr and then they could repeat the task this was all forearm stuff so you're gonna start this isn't like that's that's how these mechanistic trials work um and so these they as soon as they got oxygen delivery back they could repeat the task versus when they fatigued them out without the cuff and without with the in an oxygenation environment it took them like two to three minutes to come back and be able to repeat the task so that's that's like oh these are different things yeah, um yeah. And, and it's also like man bfr could be so efficient like if you like you can just do like just bam put the oxygen back bam put the oxygen back boom and so what were they doing to to put oxygen back in? That was the thing that I was like, this oh, just like, releasing the cuff. That was it. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah okay. Just let yeah. let the blood come back in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you can watch it with nurse. So you can't you can't really do the same thing with just traditional training. Kind of right because you're still going to get compression with with. That's what we have. Swelling. That's what we have to talk Not to about. The same degree. That's yeah. what that's what Evan and Serbia are going to argue about. Serbia's going to it's going to be really fun to see because Serbia is going to probably, we'll spend a lot of time just on the tech itself. Cause that's what Serbia has a lot of like just a ton, you know, like three years of just playing with that tech. Mm-hmm. Um, so he knows the downsides of the tech. Um, and he's not convinced that you can like that. It's an adequate measure of what we're trying to measure um, in terms of that aspect. Cause it's, it's not getting at deep. It's only looking at superficial layer. And so let, let's just leave that for that podcast because I don't want to yeah. do I don't want to do either of them a disservice because yeah. I think that, I think that they're gonna find common ground um, and I'm I'm really excited because they're both really smart dudes and I, I think they're they're gonna they're gonna definitely find and James was like hey man I don't want this to be you know just like argument I want to try to like you know push this forward what what because a lot of this I haven't seen apply the, my big thing with nurse data is I haven't seen it's all in in my it's just my look at the literature it's all mechanistic mm-hmm. so it's all these type of acute trials there's nothing like hey we try we and, and if you found these studies i'd love to read them like we had these people do you know a critical power test and then we trained them based on their critical power in this way and then we had this other group where we did the same thing but then we trained them based on their nurse so they had they had nears nears cutoffs so when they essentially in the endurance world you'd like all right so when you deoxygenate you cut the set and and so that that's even how he's that's how evan if you've read his recent um stuff on medium that's what he's kind of advocating for is like hey is this a way to like figure out where you should cut a set um and that's a big jump right um And everybody's going to be a little bit different. And I, yes, you are getting this deoxygenation environment, but there's a lot of other stuff going on. And I'm excited for the for them both to talk. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And one of the things I've seen with tech is it can like it can make people kind of lazy. Yeah, that's the scares the shit out of me about all tech, anything related to fitness tech. That's the thing, or just like creates neuroses. Um, yeah, like just like, oh, my, my sleep didn't get as much deep sleep tonight. Day's going to be garbage. And, like, and then what do you know? Yeah. It's <laughs> like, yeah, that, that stuff, that scares the shit out of me. Uh, yeah. Particularly when you're talking about training and like, we look at stuff like all the shit that was presented in endure, you know, it's like, 
dude, there's other stuff going on here. And if performance is your goal, I think that's super dangerous. Now, if hypertrophy is your goal, that maybe like I would look into it. Um, but for performance, that scares the shit out of me. Uh, all of that stuff. <laughs> um, you I, I think you've got to be kind of dumb. Like it's sometimes. I, do, I think so too, man. Yeah, for sure. Like, well, you know. In the weight room, you got to be dumb. Like I'm not thinking dumb. in yeah. the weight room. You can't. But, you know, maybe like you just can't. You, the, the tech can be fine as long as you don't forget how to be stupid. You know, like because that's what the tech can do. Like I think you can use spurts of tech. But when it comes down to, to actually going, man, like you got to still be able to go. And that's, that's where that stuff can make you super sensitive. I think from the coaching side, like you probably don't show them any of that shit. Like you're just collecting data. You can black out people. Decisions. Yeah. I think that's, I think, I think you kind of have to do that. So uh, the tech, the tech could make you. So the, the other, the thing with some of the, the near stuff is like, it could make you work harder. Like that's, that's the part where like, now what happens if you I forget about those people? Like, <laughs> I forget it, that they do this. Yeah. Like the workload, so then you're in like this weird range where, okay, the, this data told you that, so you upped your workload based on that. And then you, so you might be able, like you look at the HRV data and people got the, they got a, they got through the, essentially the program faster when they looked at their HRV data because they trained more often. Because um, they said they were good to go. They said they were good yeah. to go, so they just train uh, more often. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so maybe if the tech makes you work harder, or gives you the same results or gives you better results for the same amount of effort, then it could be advantageous. But I'm not making that bet until I see the applied research and I see multiple papers, um, hopefully on the applied research side, because if someone, if someone's doing, I want to see labs that aren't invested in it. That's why I get kind of, I get super worried because there's a lot of ways that you can set up these, these applied research trials to have something win. Um, and, and we see this a lot, like even the trials that we, like I would looking at that Schoenfeld study, I would 100% pick that that three minute rest interval was going to win. Like it was, it was because look at that cumulative fatigue of that one minute rest interval, um, going from a back squat to a leg press to a bench press to a pull down, like all oh, so much cumulative fatigue. And so now your variable isn't the variable that you think that you're wanting to test. Now your variable is your ability to slog and have a shit show training session versus your ability to essentially grind for two and a half hours. Yeah. 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 That's a huge point. Yeah. I'm, I'm super excited to, to hear them kind of talk about this because I haven't looked into it much. Like I don't know much about it. So I'm, it's going to be completely a learning session for me. Um, I'm interested in it, you know, but I'm always very skeptical of any kind of tech. So just, I think that's I think that's the 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 best way to be because you're also going to have um, and a lot of people don't think about this stuff but you also have publication bias too so what's what's generally going to happen and it hasn't happened with like so you have to you have to admit you have and this is any tech and this is important to talk about so you have a minimum viable product and so this is like maybe we shouldn't name names we'll get in trouble uh, but this is like a lot of the bands that you wear right. And so those things get validated after the fact. Um, and like you look at the, they checked like the energy output versus doubly labeled water and they were all terrible. Um, step counts, probably pretty good. But these guys are going to advertise the shit out of it. Like Aura Ring is going to tell you all about your sleep. Nah, probably not. Like if, you, if you've looked at polysomography, it's like 26, 26 little things that get hooked up to you in a room. Like is this ring around your finger going to be able to really accurately and precisely dictate that 
I don't know. And, and so none of these, like this accelerometer thing, I know the downside in that tech. It's not going to be able to tell me different sleep stages. It's pretty good at telling me total sleep time. So I can use it for that. So I can use it for steps, rudimentary. I can make, it's going to be decent for steps and it's going to be decent for total sleep time. Everything else is probably not validated. Mm -hmm. And so now like we want to be skeptical and we got to understand that these products, genetics, whatever the hell it is, they're going to have their minimal viable product and they're going to sell it to you. And then after they sell it to you, after they're, after this company is actually a real thing now, then maybe, maybe they test yeah yeah and and nearest is different because that comes from labs and so now you have it used to be like our ultrasound is essentially the product of that as well so these things used to be 50 to a hundred thousand dollars now we have a now we have a twenty eight hundred dollar unit that you can have at home Uh these these crazy nearest units were used to be you know 30 30 plus thousand dollars now we have one that you can buy for five hundred dollars so some of it is like just tech being just look at gym aware, right? The LTPs. Like now you're going to start to see like other companies come out with tech and they're going to get less and less expensive. And that's mm-hmm. great. Um, if that tech is good and we know that longitudinal transducers are, are solid is good way to good look, good way to look at speed. Um, and there's tons of studies looking at speed versus RPE and RIR. Um, I don't think that you need it. I think you can be a great coach without it. Um, but, look at the body of evidence, look at the body of data and look at where the look and see if there are those applied studies um, out there, because otherwise you're just looking at essentially in a hypothesis and then you're betting yeah. on the hypothesis. Dude. And even then it's like, even if you have the studies, it doesn't, nothing's de- definitive. Like <laughs> there's always flaws in any of these studies. Like just, you got to know what you have in your hand. Like, and just, if you're living and dying by any of that stuff, then there's, you know, I think like, I think everyone should read Endure. Like, I think that that's just a, that's just a good idea because it'll, it, it just, you should always have that in the backdrop. Yeah. How much, like, that's the, the, the other thing I think we wanted to talk about in this episode is like the, the Kepler and like Aristotle. So Aristotle thought like there was a clockwork universe and, and like that's everything rotated around uh, the earth and everything mm-hmm. they had. And, and so they were able to, it was actually pretty good at predicting where the hell planets would be. And then Kepler was like, no, that's just not right. And he took five years and he made his model and it was, it was off. Like he could, Mars was off like eight minutes out of the year and he scrapped the whole model. Um, and so muscle science, our model is, is like what, 50, 60 years old. Yeah. It's really humbling. Like these, these are relatively new sciences. They're going to progress exponentially fast, but Dude, we don't even look at the the 2019 paper that looks at how we're quantifying hypertrophy. It's like, ah, oh, maybe we should not say that we're actually getting muscle hypertrophy and that we're just getting more bigger, yeah. um, because we're not actually able to measure mm-hmm. actual hypertrophy. So it's really it's really good to not when someone's trying to send you sell you a simple uncomplicated story. Uh, we don't even really have the model figured out yet. Um, and we're probably going to, somebody's probably going to reinvent the model inside of my lifetime, inside of our lifetime. And, and then we're going to be like, shit, but you know what? If I was working hard effort and adherence and I was tracking, like if you're actually tracking your muscles getting bigger and you're like, ah, shit, 
cool man you're doing something right yeah i mean it's cool. like the model changed like, but i'm still doing bicep curls it doesn't matter yeah like i mean that's that's kind of like you look at that stuff to help inform decisions and it gives you a good starting place but you got to know that could go in any different direction uh, yeah. like tell a tell a guy who's you know 220 jacked out of his mind that you know you're not activating mtorque one enough like what the <laughs> fuck you dude <laughs> not not interested yeah, yeah. no and that's generally what you see is, is you can see people get lost in the mechanisms and then they and what does it do they get lazy it, it's not it, it stops them from doing the things that matter and that's and that's really just man effort over time yeah yeah and i think like yeah just tying the shit back together because I, I just have to do that. i hate closing without it like going back to the initial topic um if you want your biceps to look bigger you just kind of flex your arms all the time <laughs> that was that was the other part that you weren't here for um but yeah i mean it's like if you can find things to, if you're getting better in the gym like in in ways that probably matter and things that we know that probably matter are like the amount of load that you're lifting your repeated efforts are you able to continue to do exercises throughout the day like are you are you just crapping out at one set uh can you do more repetitions than you did last week can you do more weight than you did last week can you uh you know is your quality better within those repetitions if all those things are getting better then you're probably getting better you know and then like it's just continue to hack away at that shit uh, and this metabolic stress thing is one component of that. Uh, so figure out where that fits within your, your training model and integrate it every now and then. And I don't think it has to be like too much more confusing than that. Thanks, cool. man. It's been fun. Uh, episode 17, Bro Research Radio. Uh, we didn't really talk about it because we suck at hyping things up and selling stuff. But the Bro Research site is live. Um, and it, it's pretty nice. I mean, I have some web, develop, nice. web developers that, that tell me there's, there's things that need to change. Uh, but for the average person, uh, it, it looks pretty nice. And, and so that's been, uh, Ryan's been a, been a sounding board. We've been working on that for, man, about a year now. Um, and, and there's going to be some modules dropping. The goal, my goal for the, essentially the Bro Research 200 or the BR 200 is everyone wants like certifications and letters after their name. I get that. You want to be acknowledged. Um, the and people, the thing is like none of your clients, you probably never had anyone ask for the letters after your name. Um, I know that I've haven't, but they're after my name. So maybe people, people definitely come to me because I have a PhD. Um, but I want this program to be not, I'm not going to call it a master's level program because it's not, but I want it to be like a more affordable, like, quicker version of, of a master's program. And then if you like it, if you like how this, if you like how the program works, then you're like, all right, maybe, maybe I do go get a master's. Maybe I do go get a PhD because I really, I really like this stuff. Um, but my goal is to make people literate in science and how to, how to look at papers, how to not, how to not become, how to not just buy into the bullshit. Um, and then also be able to, one of my big things is I want, and you've been, you've been instrumental in this is I want people to be able to find their own answers, man. Uh, and have and not just rely on other people's stories because that's what I see a lot in the industry is like okay this person's smarter than me I'm just gonna rely on that story and use that story and then then I give away my power um, and and that obviously that sells because that and I've I've even heard see people say like don't make things too complicated like keep it simple stupid like we hear that all the time but like no I think you want to be able to see you want to be able to understand the complexity and and know when it's important. 
Um, and that way you can't be just, you're, you're not easily tricked. Um, and that's, that's my goal, uh, with the program and it culminates in people actually doing things. Uh, so you have to present, you have to be part of data collection. You have to do, there's certain boxes that you have to check, um, so that you can be a part of research and see research done. That's important. Love it, dude. Yeah. I'm excited about it. I think it's, I always appreciate that you force us to be active in the learning process. Uh, that's a huge thing for me. Uh, I think it's, it's not for everybody because some people prefer to just latch on to, to one person that tells them everything they need to know. And that's fine. You can make money that way. You can get smarter to some degree that way. So if uh, you're not interested in that route, then this is going to be pretty fucking cool. I, I'm excited to go through it as a student. I'm excited to, to contribute in any way that I can. It's going to be a, a really cool project. So. And if you're still listening to this and you would like my last training block, uh, just email me drhouse at broresearch.com and I will send you that four week block. Uh, Pura Vida, hopefully you're still here. Peace. Peace. Peace.